0: Blossoming, blossoming moments. Welcome, everyone, to Today I'm Alive. I'm your host, Margaret Abidine. It is a pure delight to introduce to you Dr. Gopi Koh. Dr. Gopi Koh is an intersectional gender specialist. She received her B.A., Honours and M.A. degrees from the National University of Singapore and has a Ph.D. in gender and post eco ecofeminism in literature from the University of Warwick. Gopi said she doesn't mind me calling her um, Gopi, so I'm going to call her Gopi, okay? Gopi is here to share her journey as an in the me tree or sister. I hope I pronounced that right, survivor, and was on a wheelchair for five years. Gopi, it's a great, great pleasure to have you join us today.
1: Thank you so much, Margaret. I, it's a pleasure and honor to be here on your podcast.
0: But, you know, after meeting you a few weeks ago, you told me a little bit about yourself, that you are an endometriosis survivor. You know, I've never, ever heard that word before and that many people unconsciously suffer during menstruation. You know, this is what you told me. I was so dumbfounded and speechless, girlfriend. So what I would like you to do now is to, you know, explain from disempowerment to empowerment. How did you walk through your journey of this endometriosis? What is it, the the symptoms, the effects, and what are the steps you took to survive and rise like the phoenix? Because I am so eager to hear your story and I'm sure lots of listeners um, are out too. So if you could carry on and just let us know what this is all about, we'd be very, very grateful.
1: Thank you, Margaret. So,
0: um
1: endometriosis is a basically the scientific definition of endometriosis is that the lining of the uterus grows outside of the uterus Mm -hmm. and it basically implants itself on other organs in your pelvic area so uh, like the lower intestine the rectum the ovaries the abdominal lining sometimes traveling all the way up to the lungs, the spinal cord, Um, and what happens with endometriosis is that um, typically when you have menses or periods, Mm -hmm. um, blood will exit through your vagina as periods, Mm -hmm. Um, lining that grows outside of the uterus basically mimics the same thing, so it will bleed every month, but the blood has no point to exit. So what keeps happening is that the accumulation keeps happening Mm -hmm. and the blood, because it has no point of exiting, it basically manifests itself as extreme, extreme pain and inflammation. That doesn't actually mean that every woman with endometriosis, suffers from extreme pain. Some people have quite a fair bit of endometrial deposits, you know, in, in their mm-hmm. pelvic area, but they don't feel the pain. And some have very little endometrial, endometrial re- deposits, but they feel a whole lot of pain. So it is, a, it is a reproductive issue, which is actually very, very common. 190 million women around the world suffer from it. Uh, it's one in ten women. So if if you were on the street um, and you point to any one woman in a group of ten, you're bound to find one that has it. Wow!
0: Oh. Just listening to you, I mean, I have, as I said, I've not heard of it before. And just as so you're saying, there are so many of us, perhaps unconsciously, we, we have this, but we're not aware because, you know, having menstruation, people, you know, women usually have cramps and things like that. So perhaps that is something that has gone unnoticed in lots of, lots of women. But I just want to pinpoint something. At what age does this start, you know, this, this endometriosis? start? What, what age does it make that impact on, on a, a young lady? So
1: typically, Margaret, it will manifest when a girl has her first periods Mm. Uh, and a lot of times, like you said, this is not picked up because we, as a society, typically women's reproductive issues and health have been viewed from a very, very male centered and patriarchal lens. And even women themselves have internalized this. So, um, if I was in school and I was going through a lot of pain, and I told my teacher that, you know, hey, I can't, um, you know, uh, be in school, or I need to leave, or I need to go home, the typical response has been, oh, I, I am a woman. I suffer from it as well. So this is not any different. This is just period pain. And exactly like you've pointed out, there are perhaps many, many, many girls, you know, who suffer in silence because they're kind of like dismissed in such a callous manner, But they could actually have endometriosis and the very, very extreme pain that they go through during their periods of menstrual cycles could very well be endometriosis, just that it's not picked up and not diagnosed. And the average time it takes for diagnosis to kick in is between seven to 13 years, precisely because of these attitudes. When you go to a doctor... Typically, it's dismissed as "oh, it's just period pain. Deal with yes,
0: it." Yes. Wow, I could imagine that. So, I would like to know at what age. I'm sure, just as you just said, there, perhaps you may have gone to your doctor. You may have told your parents or something that this, you know, the, the menstruation, the pain that you've been having so severely. What age did it, did it start happening to you? Could you pinpoint it? Yes. Yes,
1: Margaret. I actually uh, started very, like, um, I had my periods very young. I think that's very common for, you know, girls in my generation and generations after. So I was about 11 when I had it. Okay. And by 13, I was actually in massive, massive pain every month to the point where I couldn't function. So I would have to skip a couple of days from school every month, or I'd be in school and I'd have to call my mother and tell her that I, I just can't take it anymore. I need you to come and you know pick me up from school. Or, you know, schools typically would have sick bays where you mm-hmm. could go and lie down. So I'd have to tell my teacher that I can't, you know, um, I can't sit down because of the pain. I need to lie down. And the problem was that I could never actually tell them that this is because of periods um because I'm on my periods and it's painful like I said they don't believe you yes. um so always uh, I would have to make up some some silly excuse like oh I have stomach flu or um I'm just having really bad abdominal pain I don't know why you know but it, it's it's routine that you know um people don't believe girls and women when they go through this kind of pain due to, you know, their their reproductive, you know, um, systems or periods. Endometriosis is one of it. There are many others that are linked to endometriosis. Mm-hmm.
0: Adenomyosis is one of them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So at what age now you're having this constant pain and you're telling your teacher, your mother, or perhaps they're taking you to the doctor and they just said, well, you know, so sort of thing. What age did Finally, someone took notice and you had to check one and it was discovered. What age did that happen um, for you? um, uh, 19, 19.
1: 19, Do you know what happened, Margaret? I was an an undergrad uh, in a lecture theater in National University of Singapore. And I had such severe pain that I fainted in the lecture theater. And luckily by, you know, one of my friends who was sitting beside me, she had, you know, good presence of mind and she she dug up my mobile phone and she, you know, scrolled through, found my mother's number and she immediately called my mother. And my mother just, you know, came and um, straight away, I was taken to the, you know, um ANE in in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of like, you know, ran tests and everything. And I didn't even have time to mentally kind of like prepare myself for what was happening and the decision was taken that I think um or we just need to go in and have the surgery and just go in and see what's happening you know why Mm -hmm. why is she in so much of pain you know and and that you know um she fainted and Margaret when they actually um you know did the surgery and went in and saw I had a huge endometrial cyst on my left ovary mm-hmm. that had that was bleeding basically. Um they call it a chocolate cyst because it looks like molten chocolate, you know, mm-hmm. that is um running. And there you go. So it, it's it's sometimes the problem is that because these things are not externally visible, like no yes. one can see a, a, a cyst, endometrial cyst on my ovary that was bleeding, that was the cause of, you know, that that much of pain, mm-hmm. um, because something is not externally visible, people don't take it seriously either.
0: Yes. And, and it,
1: it's very difficult for them to comprehend that a condition can actually cause so much pain that it can render you immobile and disabled.
0: Hmm. Just uh, as you're saying that, wow, I mean, it's so, I mean, you know, there are so many ways that people, you know, the internal of disability, the internal, they don't see it, et cetera. So just as you're saying now, pinpointing that, but I would like to just today. What are the major sort of like you know the symptoms you know because I'm sure I myself haven't heard of this you know before and listeners would be very interesting I mean I'm sure there is some really major symptoms of this not just saying it's a it's um you know it's cramps or period pain what is the major could you just give us a few of that um Gerpre what are the major symptoms of um
1: Sure, Margaret. So one of them, of course, is extreme, extreme pain. And this can be chronic pain, which means that uh, it doesn't only start when your periods happen, it will start at the point of ovulation through your periods and after your periods, which means that it lasts a good couple of weeks. Let's let's just Put it that way, yeah. um, and mild painkillers typically won't won't um, take care of it. So things like paracetamol, ibuprofen typically will not work. So it usually requires prescription strength opioids, um, which you know I was on for a good part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is also because this is a hormonal, you know, issue. Wow. Uh, it's a lot of weight fluctuation um so um things like uh you know you you basically are never kind of like having a stable weight throughout your entire life from your teens to your adulthood it will fluctuate fluctuate you know um also chronic fatigue um because uh there's it's such an understudied and under researched condition People don't, again, want to believe that these things are connected, but a lot of us endometriosis sufferers, um, we suffer from chronic fatigue, so we get tired uh, easily, um, and it's chronic, sometimes brain fog, and um, a lot of times it is also um, infertility that is associated with it. In fact, in many cases, endometriosis is approached from the angle of infertility to the point where they don't talk about the pain, they don't talk about the suffering, um, and just kind of say, oh, endometriosis is, is, you know, uh, the lining that grows outside of the uterus and it causes infertility. Mm -hmm. But the lived reality is very, very different, usually starting with um, severe, severe pain.
0: Wow. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm learning so much, and you know, I'm just remembering to not myself, but I do remember, you know, um, you know, friends that I know, you know, like um, ladies, and how they used to tell me how they used to suffer the the pain and before menstruation, during the menstruation, afterwards. So perhaps just as I said, unconsciously, this may have been this the symptoms, you know, that they've had and not realizing. Mm. I just mm. want to ask: so when did it come apparent that? it is what you had. I mean, because I know you had some part where you were sort of unable to move and do whatever you want. Can you just share that? What, what state of, um you know, what happened there for you to end up in the, yeah.
1: So, so Margaret, um, this was actually very, um, very recent so um, like after when I was 19 I had you know the the surgery they found the cyst on my ovary I was on um, the birth control pill for a long time that is usually the first in you know frontline intervention that happens because it's a hormonal issue Uh, there are many options but usually the birth control is the first and the safest and the most common one that is used to regulate um, to Basically suppress the action of estrogen. It is estrogen that causes a lot of the, um, uh, you know, uh, subsequent pain, etc., and that flare-ups that happen. Um, and uh, there are many options for girls um, where you know this is concerned, but the thing is, it has no cure. Uh, and like I said, um, a lot of research is not done on what basically is a good way to kind of navigate this apart from hormones, apart from hormonal suppression, like what else can be done. Uh, part of it is like I said, there it's a very, very um patriarchal and gender biased way of you know kind of looking at these issues oh they're just women's issues they're not important you know Um, what happened in my case was um, one of my previous doctors that I was with he just decided that um, okay let's just put you on a drug holiday. A drug holiday is um, a doctor. They don't recommend it now. A lot of the younger generation doctors actually don't. Um, But some of the older generation doctors, what they do is they will tell you to stop using the oral contraceptive pill for a period of time to give your body a break, a drug holiday, basically. And in my case, it was um, it was there was a history that showed that every time they stopped the pill, um it was such an aggressive form of endometriosis that I would end up in pain within a few days of stopping the pill. So within a few days of basically not having the hormones, I would end up in a lot of pain. Mm. And that is precisely what happened. He stopped my medication, which was the oral contraceptive pill, and within a week, I had a huge massive flare up of endometriosis and it started actually with, um, layman's term would be lower back, but it actually wasn't the lower back. It's the back of your pelvis, which basically coincides with with the lower back. And I couldn't walk. Um, I was doubled over in pain um and it just got progressively worse this was in 2013 so from 2013 to 2018 I was on a wheelchair I was not able to sit I was not able to stand I was not able to lie down I had six surgeries five nerve blocks and ultimately a hysterectomy I was on a cocktail of painkillers such as um, I was on PCA morphine, which is the pump. I was on ketamine, which is a, a very, very highly controlled um, drug. Um, I was on fentanyl patches, which is given to cancer patients. Um, you name it, I was on it because the pain was so bad. I, it defies language. Yes. Um, I can tell you, it's like a thousand knives stabbing your pelvis or going up your rectum, mm-hmm. and it still wouldn't be enough to to you know quantify and feel the kind of pain I was in. Yes. And that basically turned my entire life upside down.
0: You know, as you were saying that, just listing all those things that you were going through, I'm going to be it really. I really had to take a deep breath you know it, it sort of emotionally affected me you know because I'm just seeing that uh situation that you're going through and um I mean was there someone there to look after you i, I hope family or someone to support you there yeah yes, yes i yes,
1: yeah. i was um i was actually doing my phd at university of warwick at that time mm-hmm. um i had to fly back to singapore obviously because you know my my family was there support system was there medical insurance doctors everything was there yeah. but it also meant that i never actually got to come back to to the uk or to warwick to to you know continue on and by 2017 uh my university university of warwick actually gave me an ultimatum they said that i'd reached maximum extensions you know that that were, that was allowed and um either i finish my phd by december 2017 or i would basically like have to start all over again because my candidature would be revoked okay. and that was um That was a crucial decision to make, Margaret, because in February 2017, I had had another surgery. Um, This was uh, the penultimate surgery. And by that time, they had found that endometrial deposits were on my lower intestine. Mm. And uh, they were also constricting my urethra. So in all in all, it basically meant that if the situation was not in control this time around, I would have to have a colon resection and have a colostomy bag Mm -hmm. and um, basically the works. And then they inserted what is known as a double J stent into my urethra Mm -hmm. uh, so that the um, deposits won't constrict it um and and as you would you know as you would know being a woman yourself every procedure or process that is involved in women's you know reproductive you know systems it's a very invasive um process so i i had like this stent that was you know in my urethra and i couldn't like it it was so sensitive i couldn't even sit properly, you know, after having the surgeries, etc. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with my, you know, doctors, et cetera. And I said, okay, this is the situation with the PhD. What do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, and we all decided that I will complete it by December, 2017, in wow. the state I was in, in the wow. wheelchair, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going through everything that I did. And I did
0: complete it, Margaret. Fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations. You know, this is is one thing about, you know, I know we can go through so much pain and suffering, but when we have something in our heart with passion, how we can rise above it and still do it, you know, because I feel very much the same with myself. Whatever I've been through, you know, the cancer, brain tumor, whatever, I still kept on going. So I have Mm. such compassion and empathy for what you're saying. So I'm very, very proud of you and congratulations. Thank you you so much. There's a question too. I mean, when you when you were in the wheelchair, were you still having your you know menstruation? I mean, with all this happening to your body, um, yeah, you- I
1: I was okay. So Margaret, what typically happens in in these situations is to break the cycle of pain, they induce artificial menopause. That is done through injections that affect um, the area of your brain that is responsible for releasing uh, the, the the hormones and the glands that are you know responsible for uh, your 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 menses. Uh, and it's called medical menopause. Uh, and the injections are known as gonadotropins. Um, and basically, uh, it 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 does the whole works. So you get. Um, you get hot flushes, you'll get the weight gain, you'll get everything, uh, but minus uh, the period. So I was put on an extended period of time to give my body the chance to kind of, you know, um, see if the cycle of pain would break, if inducing medical menopause would kind of suppress endometrial activity and the deposits and, It did, actually, for a Mm. period of time. Mm. But the problem with that approach is that um, they don't recommend it for too long because it starts affecting your bone density, leading to brittle bones. So I could only be under medical menopause for a limited period of time. So the moment they actually stopped it,
0: the pain came back. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, sort of unbelievable, but I do understand what you're saying for you to be here now, you know, and doing what you're doing. But I would like to ask a question. During those um five years you were in the wheelchair, how did you socialize? What did you ever feel like giving up? Just saying, Hey, no more is no more. I can't take this anymore because there you were before, you know, yes, you were aware you had this, um the this, this symptom, um, this condition but then getting in a wheelchair how did you for those five years how did you manage to I don't know socialize go out or what was the situation there could you um could you uh, share with us um Margaret
1: uh they were the darkest darkest you know years of my life the pain broke me Uh, Part of the problem with endometriosis pain is that you can't socialize. It is that painful. And it is unpredictable. Morning could be lesser pain, afternoon could be more pain. So I could be sitting down on the sofa reclining, I couldn't sit 90 degrees like this. I I couldn't, my pelvis couldn't. I was reclining all the time to the point where when I got like, and I was in odd positions, I was doubling over, I couldn't lie down straight. I was in really, really contorted positions. And one of the things that is well known with uh, chronic pain from endometriosis is that by the time actually uh, we get some relief, Our musculoskeletal structure becomes crooked because we are in all these contorted positions. And that's exactly what happened with me. Those five years, I was confined to the four walls of my room and the hospital. There was no socializing. I was extremely isolated. I fell out of all my networks and you know life opportunities, my career, everything, everything suffered it broke me margaret i and I don't say that lightly because I don't break that easily, but this pain broke me, and yes, there was a time when. I thought of ending it all. Um, there is actually a, a clinic in in Switzerland. It's called Dignitas. Mm-hmm. Uh they they help with assisted um assisted suicide. And there was one night where I was thinking that I can't take this anymore. I really can't. I I can't that pain is so much that I'd rather end it than go through it. Yeah, and this is what is unimaginable to the general public that something that you can't see in a woman can cause that much pain, right? It, it, like I said, it defies language. And then I got thinking that, okay... Um, you know, if if I go through with this, you know, it, it, it's not a movie, right? It's not how uh, uh, people show it in, in, in a Bollywood film or a Hollywood film that, oh, I'm thinking of suicide and I just, you know, no, they're there, like, like the reality of it is that this is, the, this is a very, very, very hard step to take. And I think sometimes in a very, very primal way, human beings, as human beings, our our survival instinct actually kicks in, oh. and and I think that is that is what happened in in my case. That you know, I was like, I have gone through so much. I am going through so much. What would it all be for if I just go and die? Exactly right. It 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 is it is like that to me would be like no, you know, and 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 that is not who I am. That is fundamentally not who I am. And, and I had to somehow, you know, find that strength within to say that, okay, somehow or the other, I am going to conquer this pain. And somehow or the other, I'm going to take the next steps to, you know, to see how I can get out of this wheelchair and get my life back. Margaret, I was... 27, 28 when I ended up on that wheelchair in that state, and I was 34 when I got out of it. All my, my, you know, years where people are building their careers and expanding their lives and building everything, all of that was taken away from me. All of that.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm listening. It's such a powerful, powerful story that you're sharing here for you to be where you are and where you are, you know, and where you are now. It's absolutely, you know, phenomenal empowering. And I'm sure, you know, there are so many um, women who are listening to that will get that deep understanding of awareness, you know, when they have that pain, you know, just don't think it's a, um, perhaps it's cramps or fever pain, go and check it out. I mean, is it now that, um, you know, you have about 10 minutes, um, is it now that people, you know, like women and doctors are taking it more seriously now with this um, uh, uh, symptoms? Is it something that now is brought to light?
1: Margaret, you know, in fact, I wrote um, an article sometime last year, which actually went a bit viral because... I tackled issues of gender bias, sexism and racism Mm -hmm. within the medical community, as well as, uh, you know, the general kind of like perceptions where if you're a woman of color and you say you are in pain, this is actually taken less seriously than if you are a white woman. you know or if you're a man basically so if if let's say there were 190 million men going around with this you know uh condition and in the kind of pain that I'm telling you do you think nothing will be done about it of course something will be done about it right this is a very gendered issue and studies have been done by you know um female doctors where you know uh and and you know other kind of like researchers and scientists where it has been shown that doctors will typically dismiss a woman as hysterical when she tells you she is in that much pain that happened to me also Uh, I was told that oh this is all psychological it just exists in my head one doctor that I went to he said that oh um you know you should just have more babies because uh yeah yeah and I was I was doubled over, I was crying, I was begging him to do something about it, and he basically just called at me and said, oh, haven't you even considered of, you know, having sex and having more babies? Like, what am I? You know, like, like, you dehumanized me to that point, right? Another doctor that I had gone to, in a similar condition, you know, on the wheelchair, doubled over, begging, crying, and I said... I'm in so much pain. He looked at me and he laughed and he said, oh, yesterday I played tennis after a long time and now oh. my elbow is in pain. And, and, and these, these are attitudes that women routinely get from the medical community both men and women doctors, you know, they they routinely dish up these attitudes towards us, but also the general public, right? Yes. Why, why are we penalized for so many things? So in, in my case, when I actually started, you know, job hunting after everything that had happened, I couldn't get a job because my career gap had been so much, yes. you know. And and the gap is there not because it was a weakness, but because I was trying to survive. I was trying yes. to survive every minute of it. I know? do understand. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: I yeah. do understand that because I myself had had a, had the a difficulty trying to get back to work after the cancer, the long term that I had, you know, kidney brain tumor. And eventually, I had to, to remove it and tell like a lie in order to get in there. So I do understand what you're saying, um, if we I really do. It touches my heart immensely. You know, to see what we have to go through as women. You know, because yes, I think our body, as as lots of people are saying, yes, it's emotional. We have the estrogen there, and all these things we go through the menstrual labor pain. So they think like, oh, you know, that's what a woman can do. A woman is made to endure all that pain and not take it seriously. So my gosh, it's really, really something that we should really bring more to light and have more discussion and more, you know, awareness of these things. Absolutely, really...
1: yeah. absolutely, Margaret, absolutely.
0: Yes. Well, c- count me in as one of those. You know, if you setting up some sort of you know women's circle for us to really voice our voice, I will be there. Put me in there. Perfect. <laughs>
1: perfect
0: yes yes <laughs> I, I mean we have about uh, four minutes what i would like to is anything that you feel you would like to share with you know the listeners something you know about the the, the symptoms of you know eating more you know could, could you share a bit um about that and then uh,
1: i think i would like to tell my my listeners that um see i'm i'm an indian uh ethnically indian And women's reproductive issues for a lot of brown women, women of color, they come with a lot of baggage a lot of women do not want to seek treatment precisely because oh they you know they might not be able to uh, you know reproduce or have children or what will you know what will people think what will society say and parents sometimes can collude in this and what i want to tell girls women parents who might be listening to this is that Don't let your girls suffer in silence just because, you know, in future, they might or might not want to reproduce or have kids. No, you know, the quality of life is so important. And why should women suffer? I suffered so much. What did it get me? Nothing. It didn't get me a job. It didn't get me a career. It didn't, all my life opportunities were gone. And I suffered, suffered, suffered in so much pain. I went through so many surgeries. What did I get in the end? We are human beings, you know, and if there is a problem, if you are in pain, don't keep silent, you know, knock on as many doors as you need, reach out to me, you know, Margaret will put my contact information, and we we will talk you through walk you through whatever support you need. You need to seek it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. Now before we we wrap up this absolutely fantastic, really empowering, needed um dialogue discussion here, Agopi, I just want to but when you hear today I'm alive, what is it that you feel? Just in you know a few sentences, uh, just share it with with the listeners, please before we wrap up.
1: I think Margaret. When I think and feel that I am alive today, it gives me the much needed confidence to listen to me, to listen to myself as a woman, to know that I have what it takes in me to to go through anything that life throws at me to make the decisions that I need to make to get out on the other side to reach from point A to point B I need to trust the voice in myself and I need to trust me over anybody else because I know best and my body
0: knows best Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Agopi. It has been such a wonderful, wonderful, empowering discussion here. Wow. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Margaret. Thank you so very much. Thank you.
0: You're more than welcome. I'm your host, Margaret Aberdeen. Tune in next week for another rocketed episode of Today I'm Alive. Share with your friends and family and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. To hire me for talks and events, please email me at info at com. Thanks for listening. Today I'm alive. Today I'm alive. And I'm feeling good.